Hey friends, before we get going on today's podcast, I want you to know about an opportunity that's available from More of the Story Ministries. It's a mentoring course that's available for up to five preachers as we would walk through about a four-month process of mentoring, one-on-one discussion, group discussion, and then some exclusive content that I've available developed for preachers. So I'd love for you to find out more about this if you're interested in becoming a more effective preacher. And so I put this stuff together. I'm excited to share it, and I'm excited to get into kind of a deeper relationship with just a few preachers. This isn't necessarily an academic course, but it's something for people who have probably been in ministry for a little while who want to sharpen their skills. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you're not a preacher, but you know a preacher. So if they're interested, I if you think or you think they should be interested, I'd love for you to send them this information, and they can reach out to me at andymillerthe3rd.com. If you look on my Facebook and website, there's some information about this mentoring course that's available for preachers. All right, hope you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm so glad that you have come along for this important episode. And it's something we all need to be thinking about as we think about ministry to people who are Muslims, but also this key moment in world history as there's a religious war happening around us. And we need to think about the theology of Hamas. Now, that sounds like a very lightning rod issue. And sometimes we need to have lightning rod issues. I'm so thankful for our guest who's going to come in and talk to us about this in just a minute. But before I do that, some of you follow podcasts, and I just encourage you to like and subscribe, to share this. Um, that, that's a way we can get this news out to more people. I appreciate all the people who send me notes and letters um, for the content that they appreciate. Um, thank you. Thank you to all those people who listen. This podcast comes to you from Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we're developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we do that through a host of programs from bachelor's, master's to doctoral programs, lay initiatives, auditing opportunities. We'd love for you to check that out. Check us out at wbs.edu. Also, my friend Bill Roberts is a financial planner. He has a firm where he's able to come alongside people, particularly people who are in ministry, and help them think about their retirement. Not necessarily something that we learn about in seminary, but I'm thankful for people like Bill who help people in this way. So you can find out more about him and his ministry at williamhroberts.com. Also, for more of the story ministry, we have some important pieces that have come out. And as we're at the start of this year, you may be looking for a new study for your Sunday school class or your small group. I have two video-based studies that would take you through a few months of learning in kind of a regular format that are video-based. They have a, about a half an hour presentation from me and then discussion questions and bonus content that are available. One of those subjects is on the afterlife. It's called Heaven and Other Destinations, A Biblical Journey Beyond This World. And the other one is a study of the little book of Jude. And I would love for you to check that out. That study is called Contender. Also, you can sign up for my email list where I'll send you a free gift if you sign up for that at andymillerthe3rd.com. Okay, I am so glad to have in the podcast my friend, Dr. Benjamin Hegeman, who serves uh, has served as a missionary in a variety of contexts with SIM. He is also with the Lilliness Trotter Center, and he's an adjunct professor at Wesley Biblical mm-hmm. Center. Thank you, Benjamin, for coming to the podcast. Yeah, delighted to be here. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Oh, 
we were talking about our curriculum for this spring. I met with mm -hmm. you yesterday. And as we were having that conversation, I realized that some of the things you're going to be teaching here for us at Wesley Biblical Seminary in coordination with the Lillianus Trotter Center is something that's incredibly relevant for our time. And I thought it would be helpful for us just to have a brief conversation about the theology of Hamas, mm -hmm. like the right. foundations for that. But before we get to that, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry and how you've arrived at this place where God's using you. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a remarkable journey to become interested in the Islamic world and the Muslims in particular. I love asking people how they do that. And in our case, uh, it was conversations with people who were somewhat involved already. And I had a real longing to be like a player sitting on the bench saying, put me in, coach. Um, there, there's something inside of us that should say, where in, in, lifting, in lifting the load in the kingdom of heaven, where should I be? And it became mm -hmm. very clear to me, lifting the load in the Islamic world was the heaviest part. And it remains the heaviest part. Wow. Uh, yes. There is, there, there is, with the exception of North Korea and a few other pockets, overwhelmingly, the hardest lifting is taking place where people are working with Muslims. God gives us a divine love. I've really been able to recognize that in my own heart. Uh, I've, I've loved the journey with teams as we've responded to people. I predominantly work in West Africa, the Republic okay. of Benin, which is right next to Nigeria. I've worked in the interior. Um, God, by God's grace, I've learned several languages. Uh, I haven't learned Arabic. I studied it for a while, but that wasn't one of the languages that I felt I needed because okay. I'm a historian. Okay. And uh, if you're going to teach, if you're going to be teaching in the Arab world, then you need Arabic. And if you're going to be teaching the Quran in, in, in Arabic, then you need Arabic. But I'm a historian, so I'm, I'm able to teach my courses in English, French. Uh, my mother tongue is Dutch. Batonu is one of the African languages that I learned. So that's been a rich journey for my wife and I. Gotcha. And it's combined with an academic journey for you. If, yeah. For you. What, what, what was your area of study? Obviously, it's history, but what did you study specifically? Yeah, my PhD, which I did in the Netherlands, was to do with church history and in particular, the, the development of the kingdom of God in the north of Benin, the very country that I'm working in. And I focused a lot on, on leadership training and how do Muslims prepare people? How do Christians prepare people? How does a secular French culture prepare people? And I did a comparative study. But my real goal was to, to grapple with with how do the Africans perceive leadership in their in their historical context. Mm. So I spent about two years of my doctoral study was studying Islam. Never thought, Andy, that I would be teaching it one day. Okay. Because <laughs> that was before 9-11. Oh, wow. And when 9-11 happened, all my colleagues said to me, you know about Islam? And I said, I do. And they said, you've got to teach us. And so that began a, 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 a rhythm of continuously preparing courses and teaching, which takes us up right to the very present. Gotcha. Where do you live now? And we're living, we live in what's called the panhandle of New York State, south of Buffalo. Okay, gotcha. In a, small, in a small community called Houghton. We have Houghton University just on the campus right over there. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So you teach courses there as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we have, we have since 2005, we've been offering courses at different levels. Uh, right now, it's a lower season of courses. Sometimes it's been up to uh, uh, two to three courses per semester. So it's, it's varied over the years. And how often do you get back to West Africa? I mean, did, did you ever live in yeah. West Africa? Yeah, yeah we yeah. did. In fact, our kids consider Africa the, the home country that they grew up in. Mm. And so we we spent the better part of 33 years there. And there was times when we were more, more stateside. There were times where we were, we were uh, entirely on, on the field in Africa. Uh, one season, we were there for five years solidly. So, you know, we've, we've, we've really spent and lived in Africa. We lived on a campus, so we speak their language. We yes. speak the African language. We're the only expatriates that are there. And it's been a tremendous honor to be able to do that, Andy. Tremendous yes. honor. Yes. Well, I'm so, we're so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for that heavy lift that God's called you to and that you're willing mm. 
to accept that heavy lift as well. Mm. As you enter into ministry with Muslims, what are so before we get into our main content area of talking about okay. Hamas, what are some of the things that we uh, um, maybe American evangelicals miss and are often like fault points for us uh, in ministry with Muslims? I, I, one of my my colleague Don Little said it so well when we were talking together, and that is there's a there's a there's a, an a temptation to glide into treating Muslims as if they're like Mormons or like Jehovah's Witnesses or just yeah. some other variation of of Christianity or some variation of Judaism. And historically, that that is not a recent evangelical slip. We see all of that happening through church history. Okay. What happens is we don't do our homework when we do that. Because we, we, we assume we have so much in common, and that doesn't help them. Wow. They, they need us to realize, they need, they need us to realize that everything, every word, similar word we use, we use differently. Mm. We talk about the same people differently. And they don't actually have a single verse of the Bible in the Quran. Not a single complete verse of the Bible is in the Quran. Which means it's our job to go in and understand them in their world. Mm. And, and so the greatest need is for us to actually realize oh my goodness we got a lot of homework to do wow we need to understand them so when they say islam is a religion of peace well what do they mean by that and if they say for example you know we worship the same god well what do they mean by that and and that's that's the homework that we have to do that's that's our responsibility gotcha well we're in this interesting moment now where there's this conflict that has engaged so much of the world mm -hmm. well, everybody has an opinion on it um it just ends up coming up in conversation on a regular basis and there are protests that are happening in the united states all over the world related to palestine and hamas um i'm curious like uh, on of your perspective in general on what the theological and when i use the word theology it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's christian theology but what yeah. the theological foundations of Hamas is. You've said you, and I'm going to use some of your words. You've mm -hmm. said what's happening is a religious war. It is. And we have to realize that. Well, that might not, that might get us kicked off of YouTube here, but I want to, I still want us to think, why is it a religious war? Yeah, it's religion, not because we want it, but because they have declared it to be so. When you okay. read the 36 articles of the constitution, the covenant, as they call it, that Hamas drew up in 1988, uh, it is, it is point Verse from, verse from the Quran, another point, verse from the Quran, another point, verse from the Quran. I mean, it is, it is chock full of theology. It is unapologetically theology. And everything in their, in, their, in their theology is back to the source. For them, the source is the Quran and the example of Muhammad, which okay. they call the Sunnah. Everything is coming out of there. That's why the course I'm going to be teaching with you says to the students, you've got to go to their source. And ironically, the word Al Qaeda means that the source. Okay. And they're all. And when you listen, when you look at their names, all of their names about is about Al Shabaab, how to be part of the companions, the brotherhood, and what they mean is we're in brotherhood with Muhammad. Everything inside of Islam longs to go back to Muhammad and the way he lived. Mm. So when you're reading Hamas's declaration, you would think you were reading a medieval document for how deeply trenched it's in in, in theology. It's deeply religious. Secondly, for the first time, we have Israel using theology in their own war against the Hamas. Mm. They're talking about Amalek. Amalek. Amalek, of course, you'll recall from the Bible, was, the, was that one vicious group of, of, of enemies that attacked Israel in the back. They attacked the women and the children and the, and the weak. 
And of course, the analogy to October 7th is very strong. But you will hear Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, other leaders talk about defeating the Amalekites. Mm. Well, that's a first. We've, wow. not had, we've not had that in conversations before, which means there's been an ideological shift even within Israel that there's an existentialistic crisis which had a theological component to it for them. And so we have tragically in 20, and, and by the way, religious wars are the worst wars. Uh, they're the most dangerous. They're the, you know, they're, because you can't negotiate in terms of, well, can we settle for a peace treaty on this? Can we, can we negotiate? No, you don't negotiate with religious people hmm. in religious wars. It's mm -hmm. surrender or die, you know? And so this is really, really uh, critical for we as Christians to understand we have entered a new phase of warfare in this war. Yeah, so this, in, in part, when you said a religious war, why it's the most dangerous, why it's the most challenging, part, we're dealing with ultimate reality, like mm -hmm. how we view the world as a whole, what is happening, why we're here. Um, so yeah. you can see why those foundations end up being a part of this. And for them, like you said, it's rooted in the Quran, but also the Sunnah. Can you tell us a little bit about that document? I know students at Wesley Biblical Seminary who are going to be taking your course will read right. it, but um, help us know some of what what's a part of that document. Okay, the, the 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 core document, of course, is the Quran itself, and they're going to be reading through it chronologically, which means over a over a twenty three year period, Muhammad is having these revelations, literally trances. When you look at them, they're trances. Sometimes he he uh, he falls down and, and and loses consciousness. Sometimes he hears voices inside of his head. But he's a man having twenty three years of trances, and there's an evolution that takes place. We're very interested in that evolution because he has a he has a habit of saying whatever I say last eclipses what I said earlier. So we need to kind of find out how did it start, how does it evolve, and how does it end? Here's where it gets scary. It ends on the battlefield. And so the last things he is saying in the Quran are militant surahs, militant declarations. It's an all-in war. He's fighting with everyone, with Jews, Christians, and, and, and pagans. That's how the Quran stops. Now, the second document is, it's called the Hadith. We're not going to be addressing that one in this particular course, but that's one that was written 200 years later, explaining how the Quran should function when it's ruling a country. So it, it, it's basically a large portrait, a panorama of how to lead a country under, under that. It will evolve into Sharia law. Sharia law will evolve and, and become part of that. There's another critical document that I will introduce the students to, and it's called the Sira, and the Sira is a biography. Okay. And it's the oldest known biography of the life of Muhammad, and it, it accounts it, it, it accounts blow by blow all the battles and the conversations that he's having. So conversations with Jews and others, and battles that he's having with all the other Arabs. So the student is going to see what an incredibly warlike uh, uh, theology is emerging through the book. And it's getting more and more militant as we get to the close of the book. And then, mm -hmm. as I said already, it ends on war footing. And that's what Hamas and Jihad and the Salafi and the and 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 the you know and, and everyone else that's basically drawn their theology, they're all drawing it from the last part of the Quran. Gotcha. And well, we as Christians tell us about some of that. What are some of those parts or what are some of those stories or explanations from the Quran that inspire them? Uh, uh, I'm speaking of Hamas. Yeah, particularly like the opening the opening opening statement in the uh, the the covenant of Hamas, the 1988 covenant, is talking about. You are the best of people and you will rule over all others. You are destined to be the ruling people of the earth. 
So when you're reading that, you can imagine, Andy, you're reading that, you're doing your devotions, and you're saying, you are going to be a soldier. And part of your soldier is Allah has predetermined that you will conquer the world on behalf of, of Islam. Well, that intoxicates them. That inspires them. They, you know, that is that is why, and the word Allahu Akbar means Allah is greater. He's going to triumph over everything. Mm. So you can imagine that they they read that, the Palestinians, the the, the jihadists, the, you know, the all the different movements around the world, they're reading that and they're totally inspired by that. And so there are promises in the Quran that they will rule, that they will be the best of people, that they will conquer, the whole world will come under Sharia law eventually. Although that term Sharia law doesn't come until later, they will come under the rule of Islam eventually. Hmm. It, now, in the Christian tradition, and this is why people will end up saying, well, this is, they're, they're, they might even hear similarities. Like we think that Jesus is going to return and put everything right that is wrong in the world yeah. and that he'll reign in, with truth and justice all over the world and we'll all be under his authority and it will, you know, be a new heavens and new earth, all the yeah. beautiful promises that come. And so some people might say, well, that sounds that sounds similar. Or, Don't we, after all, worship the same God? Isn't this the same thing? Um, tell us how that's a little off, very off. Well, in one sense, in one sense, Muhammad brings forward the eventual millennial concept that there's that Christ will return and reign. He brings that forward and said, we're not waiting for him. We're going to actually start now. And we got to get the earth ready for when he does come. It's deep into their eschatology, and you can see it uh, uh, unfolding right now in Iran. Iran is is really is really uh, uh, running on an eschatological script, mm -hmm. and they really feel that they are in the end times. All you have to do is listen to the Ayatollahs, listen and listen to them preach, and it's all about we are in the end times. The return of what they call the Mahdi is is somebody who's going to prepare the end times. He's coming. The Al Masiyah, the uh, Jesus is going to be returning from Earth. They're deeply, deeply shaped by that. Here's our difficulty. When we listen to them, we got to be careful not to interpolate and read our theology into theirs. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you said earlier, we worship the same God, to which I can only, you, you can't say yes to that. And you don't want to say no to that. So you have to find a, a, a diplomatic way of saying, tell me what you mean by us worshiping the same God. Yes, that's the question. Yeah, Everybody hear that that's what you say. You don't say absolutely. Yes so we we are at our best, and the students from 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 Wesley Biblical Seminary are at their best when we when Don and I in, in, in our center can can teach them. This is the question you ask when you hear that. Yes, you have to know how to respond with it with with a question for their benefit. Mm. It's not to win the argument. Right. It's to get them to think about well, what, what he 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 hears these things. She hears these things from others. We have to be the person that says to them, have you ever thought about that? Can we have a conversation about that? May I ask you questions about that? And that's what we want to do. We want to prepare students for conversations. Yes. And, and so it's not helpful to be in a place where we just say, this is that. Instead, no. to help them move along in a, in a direction yes. that yep. we, where, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I, th I think I do. Uh, where do we want to lead them? Like, what's mm -hmm. what's the path? Tell us some of the ways that this has been successful. And maybe a better question is, how do we have these conversations well? Um, part of it is we have to, we begin by praying for them. And, and, and it begins by finding a neighbor or someone that you actually personally, physically know, and you know by name, and you start praying for that person. Uh, I don't know who that might be for you, Andy, but uh, hopefully you have, an you have perhaps an African-American neighbor who's a Muslim. Start sure. praying for that person. God begins to work in their lives. It turns into a conversation at some point. You're praying for the conversation to happen. God in his sovereignty allows these things to happen providentially. 
and then begins a long, steady journey of bringing that person to Jesus. Now, that person will think that the Isa, that's their name for Jesus, in the Quran is already the person he's supposed to encounter. He is he or she has to encounter the Jesus of the Bible. Yes. So we can we can help them initially have some gentle, gracious conversations around the Quran. That's what our questions are for. But as soon as opportunity permits, we want to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Matthew is a beautiful place to take them. I always say Matthew is for monotheists. Matthew is a beautiful place to take them. Uh, let them see what Jesus does. They will love it. And then let them hear what Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount, and they will be astonished at what they hear Jesus say. Wow. Because the Isa in the in the Quran and the Jesus in the Bible are completely different in what they say. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is what we will do. And, and by God's grace, it's happening one by one by one by one by one by one. The best, the best case scenario is when somebody actually comes and lives in your house and who's a Muslim. Okay. A cousin, a neighbor, you know, somebody in need or a refugee. Because once they're in our home, they love the Christianity that they, they find there. Mm. But if it's not in our home, then it's our neighbor. Yeah. Or maybe for some, it'll be a classmate or a workmate. But the point is, they need our intelligent conversations to shepherd them towards the right questions, to the right opportunities, one-on-one -on -one reading the Word of God together. When that happens, we have a lot of homework to do because they, to stand with Jesus, will break out persecution for them. Mm -hmm. Almost guaranteed. Mm -hmm. so we have to know how to stand by someone that he doesn't he doesn't fail at the you know at, at the early at the early uh, stages, and then we have to have really good deep discipleship. Something my colleague Don Little uh, really focuses on, so that we can disciple them, so that they will stand in obedience for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When we're in these conversations, and particularly at this moment where we're dealing with the challenges and the the reality that. Mm -hmm. This war, this religious war, makes some people feel like they are a minority, that they're persecuted. It fits into the vision of the world they've presented. Yeah. Is there anything we need to keep in mind with these conversations now as we enter that's different uh, now with the what's going on with Hamas and Israel? I'm entirely, I have for years, ever since I was in Israel, I have felt a deep compassion is that an empathy, sympathy, more perhaps more empathy, a deep compassion for the misery of the Palestinians. Hmm. Um, and so I think it's entirely genuine for us to feel burdened and pray for the Palestinians. Their answer, however, is not Hamas. Mm -hmm. Their answer is not Hamas. And so how the Lord is going to help us be part of the groaning, the lamenting. I think that was a point that, uh, that I think N.T. Wright brought out, the lamenting, yes. you know. How do we lament with the Palestinian world right now? Uh, they have they have brought upon themselves the worst of all possible governments, Hamas. <laughs> mm. I could not imagine a worse government to be over you than 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 the political theocracy that Hamas brings in. Mm. So, in, in one sense, I think it's it's critically important for us, the church, to be in prayer not only for the hostages, not only for the Israelis and the families that have lost members during that massacre, but as well for the Palestinian people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You might be familiar of a book called Son of Hamas. I'm not. Okay, there's a book written called Son of Hamas, and it's a very powerful story of someone who actually made the journey from being a son of a Hamas founder, and uh, his name is Mossad, and he makes a journey and eventually becomes a Christian. And mm -hmm. when you read that, you have this great longing of saying, Lord, may that tribe increase. 
Wow. Of yes. those who once were totally in the Hamas situation and have found that way to come through the influence of Christianity to be baptized and to become and, and to become followers of Christ. What are some of the kind of the basic bullet points to help us understand what Hamas is? I, I, I maybe made that assumption yeah. too early in the conversation. I think I know a few things, but I'm glad to have somebody who's more of an expert help me. Well, the something happened theologically that has given birth to a whole host of, of jihadi movements. You're familiar with the word jihad, sure. that militant struggle to, to make Islam triumph. Jihadi is, jihadis are multiple. They're, in fact, they're not quite as many as Protestant denominations, but they split into many groups. Okay. There are 17 different jihadi groups fighting right now into in the Palestinian area. Uh, it's like a wolf pack. They're all they're all having their followers, and right now Hamas is, you might say, the alpha male of the wolf pack. Okay. okay so they're okay. in a dominant position over that. But but there are all sorts of movements, and so uh, what what you need to do is to sort of say, the name may change, but fundamentally it's the same theology. They they have their differences amongst each other, and they're that's fascinating to a certain point. But at the end of the day, they are more united than they are divided. And they all have this, they, have, they all have the fundamental belief that the world's going to be ruled by Islam. They're going to restore the caliphate, which right. has been de has been defunct since 1924. Uh, it's going to come through jihad. Sorry, uh, best thing for the world is that we conquer you, and then, then the whole world will live under our sword, which is going to bring peace. Israel has to absolutely be expunged out of the Middle East. Mm. Uh, that's genocidal language. Yes. Uh, all the evils in the world are attributed to, to all the evils in the world are contributed to the Jews. I mean, so the Jews are the evil behind the whole world. Wow. And that variations of that run through all the jihadi movements in the world. And there's got to be at least three dozen, four dozen different variations of jihadism. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so Hamas is, is, is an organization set up that is, as you said, the alpha male dog yeah. of that group, yeah. uh, of those that type of theology yeah. it's it heads up the wolf pack right now in, in this tradition who are the heroes of that group when they look back to their tradition um in other sources mm -hmm. who what is it that who is it that they look to who are they trying to emulate yeah and you see that when you read the hamas document when you read their 36 articles on their constitution you see the heroes coming out and of course the number one hero is muhammad for sure and yeah. let's rem let's let's remember he was a militant prophet and then come other ones, and those are those are the right, you know, the caliphs. You have the you have uh, Bukhari, you have um, you have Omar, you have Ali. These are the militant, and often they're they're martyrs. They're people who are in power, and they get killed. So most of the heroes are people that have been killed. Said Qutb is a his theologian who was martyred. He's one of their heroes. Osama bin Laden, he's a hero. And you can start going down like all the people we kill turn into heroes. Hmm. Which is kind of a dangerous thing to do because you can get rid of like just yesterday there was again there was somebody killed in uh, there was somebody killed in Lebanon in Lebanon, but that turn that person will now turn into a hero, because Hamas repeatedly says we wish death in the cause of Allah. So they want to be martyrs. Hmm. They they seek the honor of being martyred and of being hailed. And so there was also an, a bomb that exploded in Iran uh, two days ago, I think, or was it even yesterday? And that was because one of their generals, who is a martyr, was being was 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 being celebrated. It was it was the third anniversary of his death, mm -hmm. so they wanted to celebrate him. So those are the fig those are the figures who are their heroes. Their heroes are not living, but their heroes are dead. Mm. 
And it's astonishing how many, how many, how many of them have been killed. And they then turn into martyrs. And they then turn into heroes. And is are the people who are involved themselves in 9-11 on the, the, the events of the day of 9-11, are they individually yes. celebrated as yes. well? Yeah, they and they would be deeply honored in their communities and in their families. Hmm. You know, we we don't know their names because they're just it's a whole list. A lot of them Saudis as well, but they would be greatly honored and celebrated in their own in their own communities. Hmm. Yeah, and Osama bin Laden said it clearly. He says he says the Americans love life, we love death. <laughs> oh man! So death to them is it, it's a, it's 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 almost an immediate pass into the paradise that they imagine. Uh, which are pleasure gardens, but absolutely, death is 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 better than life. Death is better than life in in their theology. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news, Andy. There's a it, massive majority of Muslims who are not practicing this. Okay. Who know that this is the 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 highest form of Islam, but they're not willing to practice the highest form of Islam. So you will have a lot of people here in America who are Muslims, and they're not into this. They're not in. They're not into the streets demonstrating uh, in you know waving waving the Hamas flag or the Palestinian flag. They're not chanting from the river to the sea or anything like that. They are not fully practicing that militant version of Islam. That is really good news. Mm -hmm. They are the ones actually we're going to have conversations with. They're the they're the neighbors with whom we will talk and whom we will meet in in, in Walmart and so forth like that. And you know they're the ones who are playing on our football fields and so. So the good news is is that while the militant minority but totally defines the religion in its highest sense, the vast majority are not practicing that. Is, is that because it's just impractical, practical, or is it uh, also like the fact that they know something's not right about it? Like the basic idea that there's a, the moral law exists in the universe and they have a sense that there is right and wrong, even if they say and affirm these beliefs and, they're not practicing. It. It's interesting to me that they're not, and maybe that makes them more open. Yeah. I like the, I like I like what you said, and for them to say what you just said, with which would mean that the Holy Spirit is already at work in their hearts. Amen. For them to be reflecting the way you just uh, articulated is a sign that they are doing their own thinking. They're asking questions. They're wondering how things are going. Those are the people we want to have most conversations with. We have a lot of them who simply are born Muslims and. For them, it's part of their culture and their identity, and they don't really have never spent a lot of time giving it a lot of thought. And, and for them, our conversations are important to start that process. And my point is never to insult Islam. My point is to ask questions to make them think. And once mm -hmm. they're thinking about it, I want to help them to say, now you want to go and listen to the Lord Jesus at this point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you have you had conversations with people who have who are on that militant side? Um, and, and if we bump into somebody who is chanting from the river to the sea, what's an approach that we should take there or should, or should we, or should we only aim toward the people who are middle of the road, nominal Muslims? I have a dear colleague, Jay Smith. You may have heard of him. Yes. Uh, he's really gifted along with a few others who are really gifted at doing debates and engaging in what he calls polemics. Uh, I love these. I love those who have that gift. Personally, I I haven't been part of that, although he's tried several times to to get me to join him. Um, but I cheer them on. They're 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 they are not many, but they are very effective, and we need them. They have the ability to stand in front of of the of the most agitated crowds and really engage them. My honor has been to have personal, private, one-to-one -one conversations with Muslims, 
And in, in Benin, they are my neighbors. They're my co, you know, they're sometimes people that are doing work for us. Uh, he, it may be the mason that's building a, a building for us. And I find out he's Muslim and I have a conversation with him. It's, it's on that level that I've had my conversations. The militants tend not to uh, look for conversations. And so when I, when I take my students to the mosque uh, uh, to, to show them you know, what it's like, it's usually the very open-minded, moderate type of mosques that invite me in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I've met them. I have not engaged them the way Jay Smith has. Okay. But boy, I respect what Jay does. Yeah. And we've had Jay be a part of some of the courses that you teach here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. And yeah. tell us about, uh, yesterday you told me about a woman, if, if you can, um, yeah. who's been very vocal and sounds to me like somebody who has stepped right out of the book of Acts. Tell us about her. Yeah, exactly. Hatun is an amazing, a very short woman, uh, not quite yet five feet, but she stands taller than all of us. Oh, that's um, right. She has a courage which is just jaw-dropping. Jaw and she loves her people so intensively that she will directly go into the mosque and say, can I sit down and interview you for, I have some questions that I can ask. And her questions are so insightful and so strategic. She'll say, why is it that we are not talking to Christians? Why is it that as Muslims, you know, how is it, why is it that Muslims are not doing this and then that? She point blankedly asks questions. Uh, she's been physically attacked. She's been almost killed uh, on, on more than one occasion. She's been hospitalized for up to two weeks with lacerations caused by, by, by knife attacks. Uh, they've put somebody in jail because they tried to assassinate her. Mm. So she causes very vivid and strong emotions. I mean, she triggers those in certain people, but she has led more people to Christ. And here's the most astonishing thing. The people who have God's gift and courage to use that approach often see great fruit. Mm. But boy, all of those people have to live under the radar um, they have to flee for their lives. Um, they they live a very book of acts, running from point A to point B kind of life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and the vast majority, of our responsibility is to pray for these incredibly courageous people. Yes, they're not seeking their own death. You know, she's not trying to. Hatun is not trying to become a martyr. Um, her Turkish family has disowned her, um, which which has to be a, a burden that she she carries. But the intensity and the love with which she uh, exercises her gift has brought many, many Muslims into the kingdom of God. Yes. Yeah. So there's these di different roles that people have. So I hope people are encouraged to know that there are people like these two that Benjamin has told about, but then there are others who still are taking this task. And and I think, and I'm challenged by this, you know, Benjamin, to make sure that I'm going to be seeking out relationships and figuring figuring out paths Yep. where I can witness clearly in conversation. And you might feel at times that you're not equipped. Um, nevertheless, there's still a responsibility for Christians in the yep. Great Commission. And if you're wondering how you can be better equipped, you mm. can come to Wesley Biblical Seminary. Right. So I'd love for you to check out check out this class that Dr. Hageman is teaching. Uh, Benjamin, there's one other uh, thing I'd like to talk to you about, and it's important to think about the roles of the church and the state. I think mm -hmm. those things are different in the Islamic expression. Yeah. And yeah. so help, help us understand, because that's part of what's going on with Hamas as well. When I teach my students in Benin and, and in West Africa, there's a great yearning for them to say, praise the Lord, pass the ammunition. They're so angry with jihadists. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's kind of the raw material that we all deal with. There's such a desire that let's, let's, let's duke it out with the jihadists. And I always say, no, our battle is spiritual. We have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, 
And ours is the duty to pray and pray and pray, especially for our enemies. And I said, we have to, you know, we have Paul saying to Timothy, I urge you in first place, pray for people and for rulers. And then he says, so that we can live a peaceful life. In other words, the peace you long for comes as a result of praying for political leaders. Mm. And so we, the church worldwide, have to pray over our leaders right now in, 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 the, in the situation that's happening in, in, uh, in Gaza. We need to pray for Israel leaders. We need to pray that the Hamas will surrender. Okay. You know, the, the, the falling down out of power is God's domain. You know, we, we see repeatedly in the prayer of Hannah and the prayer of Mary and so forth like that, that God brings down the mighty. Yes. And he raises up the humble. And the raising of the humble, of course, we see that is the, the kingdom workers coming to places of recognition. But the bringing down of the mighty is also part of God's mandate. And mm. we need to pray for the tumbling of the mighty. Mm. And right now, Hamas needs to tumble. My greatest longing is that they will surrender to Christ. Yes. But probably they first probably need to surrender to Israel before they get there. But, the, you know, my, our goal is not to see them dead. Our goal is to see them alive in Christ. Yes. Wow. But our responsibility is not to pick up the sword, but to say to, to say to the state, you have the sword of vengeance. Here's a, a fascinating point. You know, Andy, how in Romans 12, Paul emphatically says, do not take revenge. Vengeance is what is mine, the Lord. What follows right after chapter 12 is chapter 13, which says the state has the sword yes, and it yes. has to use it for justice. So we need to pray that we will refrain from vengeful reflexes. We will pour our prayers over our enemies and over government leaders. For some people, that's the same person. Um, and that we have to see the state do that by the sovereignty that is given by God. Proverbs 8 says, by me, rulers rule. In other words, God's capacity to rule, I mean, the capacity to rule comes from God. And so we need to pray. The church has the sword of the spirit. I say to my students, the church must always be pacifist and the state must never be pacifist. The state has to hold the sword of vengeance, sword of vengeance to bring about justice in society. Mm -hmm. That's not our job. Our job is to hold the, the sword of the spirit and to talk about the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. So there's the kind of the two sword ideas, but you, we really have the we really have to reaffirm to say to people in, in particularly in Nigeria where there's so many people being killed by jihadists. I say, do not take revenge. Pray that the military forces and the government forces will be equipped by God to bring down the mighty. Hmm. You said this is happening in Nigeria. Um, it, it is. Tell, tell us, and I know you're closely connected to that side of the world. Um, give us a little taste of our. our a few bullet points about what's happening there. Sub-Saharan Africa, and particularly in Nigeria, is now the epicenter of persecution in the world. It's not that persecution has diminished in other areas. It's that it's increased in, 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 in Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. The worst persecution is happening in, uh, in Nigeria, the northern part of Nigeria. And just over Christmas, on Christmas Day, there was a slaughter of 160 people in a, in a Christian, a largely Christian village. The jihadists came in and just shot everyone, women, uh, uh, men, women, old, young, babies. They just, it was a bloodbath. Mm. And uh, these things, while that one is a worst case uh, uh, account, we have lesser cases of five people being killed here, two people being killed there, a priest being killed there, a pastor being killed there. And, and that happens weekly. The reason Reuters News and, and, and the Associated Press and the BBC do not cover that is because they've dismissed it all as land and tribal disputes 
Okay. And the, and the fact that these people who are who are aggressors are jihadists is not mentioned. They say they say they're just gunmen. Hmm. So when I went to see the report of the slaughter in Al Jazeera, a Muslim a Muslim news agency, yes. they simply call them gunmen. Gunmen have came into a village and, and killed 160 people. Well, isn't that a way of deceiving your audience or your yeah. readers? By not calling them jihadists, but calling them gunmen, you're deceiving your audience. Hmm. So we need to, on one level, pray that the rulers will come with, with incredible authority and deal with those very people who slaughter them. And secondly, we need to pray on another level that God exposes the agenda of the journalists who are trying to hide the truth from their mm -hmm. readers. Mm -hmm. So in that case, then political pressure could be applied from other locations as people have the information yes. of what's really happening. Yes. Yep. Benjamin, this is so helpful and weighty. I imagine as people are listening, they're feeling the burden and the, I hope, the impulse to pray more vigorously as you are helping us. Um, uh, I, I just wonder, Benjamin, right now, if you could just pray out loud. I know people, you and I are just together here on a Friday mm -hmm. afternoon, but people will be listening to this. Who knows where and when yeah. um, all around the world. We have people who listen all around the world. So I'd love, just love for you to offer a short prayer for yeah, these areas of conflict. Good. And as an example to us, but also we know we're, we're speaking to our triune God yeah. who's available to us, who acts, who's a God of justice. And yeah. so let's just- and, uh, and love, if love I, if, Just before I pray, can I say this? Yes. Next time you're walking through Walmart um, and you see a lady with a hijab on, pray for her, mm. pray for her. And Amen. if you see her little child next to them and pray that they will meet a Christian who will have a conversation with them. In other words, when I travel in Africa, I'm just constantly praying for what I see with my eyes. If you don't pray, you probably have a negative reaction. Like, mm. why is that lady wearing a burqa? Yes. But see it rather as an invitation for prayer, saying, Lord, okay. that, that immigrant or that person is here wearing that, drawing attention to herself, to himself. Lord, I want to ask you to enter into that person's life. Amen. May yeah. they have a Christian neighbor. May they have a Christian co-worker. May they have a Christian colleague somewhere that begins a conversation with them. So in other words, let's see it as the opportunity and not as a threat. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Oh, okay, thank me, you for that, that change. Yes, we'll pray now. Yeah. Let me, let me lead in prayer. Father, we are so, so grateful that heaven is open. Yes. Uh, that you're not wringing your hands at what is so uh, challenging for us to look at in the world around us. And we know that the news we receive is a burden of responsibility to lament, to pray, to intercede, and to ask that you would intervene in so many parts of the world. We think right now of Somalia, incredible suffering and drought and pain that is happening. We think of Yemen, who's who's in a bellicose posture right now. We think of Iran. We think of the tens and hundreds of thousands of believers that are in Iran right now, and they're praying, Lord, for the overthrow of, of the, the Shiite government. All these things are in your hand. Lord, put us in. Make us part of this. Help us not to see this as other people's responsibility, but help us also to respond to the Muslims we see in our cities in our stores, at the gas stations, Lord, in the airports, give us hearts that respond to what you are doing in the world. I pray for those students who have the courage to take this course, yes, uh, yes. Give, give them a, a great hunger and a desire to also be those who lift the heavier burdens in, in the world today. We do pray for those in tunnels. We pray for the hostages. We do pray for those in tanks. We pray for those, Lord, who have been caught on the wrong side of, 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 of various arguments. Have mercy. You, Father, 
and you particularly the lord jesus can appear to them in dreams and visions causing them to see you this is what we want we want you to be the victor in this whole situation yes and we pray that in in time coming and if you haven't yet returned that we can speak of incredible responses to yes. you yes. that happened during this war so lord we want to seize the day this is our opportunity to respond to you and we ask particularly for those who are listening to this that they too will ask lord what is my responsibility in this Yes, to this yes. end, we pray in the wonderful, powerful, and unique name of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Benjamin. And you. Example. On a completely different side, okay. here, I always ask the question if there's more to the story of somebody. And um, like I'm looking for some kind of maybe something fun, maybe a hobby that you have, maybe a sport you like to play or something you do with your children or grandchildren. I don't know. Uh, so is there what's more? Is there more to the story of Benjamin? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm from a Dutch background, so I have a, I have a whole culture there that I, that's a sidebar of my life. I love that. We're multilingual. We, we, every day I, I operate in four different languages in the house. Wow. And, and we haven't been in, uh, we do that together with my wife, uh, for a hobby right now. I, I've been, ever since I was a little boy, I'm, I'm a, I'm a coin collector. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so when you travel, that's a fun thing to do. And the older the coin, the happier I am. For some reason, that really, really turns my crank. What's your oldest and coin? What's your oldest coin? Tell my me. My oldest that. coin. Um, I, I know which one it is. It's a Phoenician coin. It's a Phoenician, about two hundred years before Christ. Wow. Yeah, it's not even round. It's kind of like that shaped. Uh, and then I have some Romans and Greek coins. Um, of course, those those ones cost a fair bit. Uh, but that really turns my crank to see this little piece of metal with something stamped on it and realize, you know, that happened you know, 1400 years ago or something like that. Yeah. Wow. That's fun. When I was uh, with the Salvation Army, people would put some of those ancient coins in our kettles. Uh, one time they actually put it in a plastic container um, okay. from around the time of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, it was a gold coin. So it's so interesting. Uh, ah, I would have never guessed that. Well, it's convenient. There you are. Well, that's you do. Benjamin, thank you so much for your time. And people, friends, if you're interested in this class, this, this uh, podcast will come out. And that class will start the next week. So if you're interested, go to wbs.edu. You can audit a class. Mm -hmm. um, pretty cheap to do that. Or you can take it for credit. We'd love, And particularly WBS students, if you're listening to this, yeah. get on and make this one of your electives. Uh, you have a few electives there. We'd love to get you into this class. Yeah, look, looking forward to having you. Thanks, Benjamin. Okay, thank you, Andy.